Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. Welcome back. This is 4.4, the spirit of truth, or on rejecting false spirits and stupidity. You know, in our current cultural climate of tolerance, it can seem intolerant to exclude any ideas, even ideas that are demonstrably false. And on a 2008 episode of the show, The View, one of the hosts, Sherry Shepard, was asked by Whoopi Goldberg, you agree that the world is not flat. And Shepard's response was unbelievable. She said, I, I never thought about it, Whoopi. Is the world flat? I never thought about it. Now, as I mentioned in the last episode, we often hear people now in this postmodern era say things like, your truth is your truth, but my truth is my truth. Yet in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul instructs the church to test everything and to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from every form of evil. Countless times in the pastoral epistles, Paul cautions Christians to hold sound, healthy doctrine and to avoid myths and endless genealogies. Likewise, the Apostle John sounds an even more serious and severe note. He argues in 1 John that the Spirit of God makes one a child of God, while all other spirits are from the Antichrist and make one a child of the devil. Famously, Jesus refers to himself not as a way, but as the way, the truth, and the life. The New Testament is adamant and unapologetic about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. In this episode, we're going to discuss what the New Testament has to say about discerning the spirits of the world. And we're going to look at how to ensure that we remain firmly fixed in what Jude 1.3 calls the faith once delivered to the saints so that we can live out our life of faithful obedience and our life of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ in accordance with the truth. Let's begin by hearing the word of the Lord from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, this teaching almost seems matter of fact, obvious. Some things are true and some things are lies. Some things are good and some things are evil. But when we think more about this in all its simplicity and all its brevity, it still raises a question. How? How do we discern what is true? With what criteria can we make judgments about what is good and about what is evil? Well, the words of Jesus in John 17, 17 are helpful here. Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer about the disciples, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Earlier in John 16, verse 13, Jesus includes another central aspect to discerning the truth. Namely, 
the illumination that comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus instructs his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, when we look at the teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of John and elsewhere, we can see that for Jesus, truth comes through the Word of God, that is, the Spirit-inspired Scriptures, and through the Spirit of God. Many, however, have detached John 16 from John 17, and they've opted instead to focus on the Spirit who guides us into all truth as a way of seeking to subjectively discern the will of God through their own experience and through their own feelings. Yet, I think it is important to recognize that Jesus was not talking in a sort of general sense here to a future generic audience in John 16. Rather, he was talking specifically to the apostles. The promise of Jesus is not that he will lead all individual believers into their own subjective truth as an ongoing task throughout history. Rather, Jesus is instructing the apostles that he will lead them into particular truths so that we have the fullness of the truth and the fullness of the faith once delivered to the saints. Upon the death of the apostles, we still have these teachings, only now we have them in the inspired, providentially preserved Holy Scripture alone. The truth that Jesus led the disciples into by the Spirit is the apostolic faith. We have that in Holy Scripture. It's therefore sovereignly appropriate for the canon to have concluded with the warning that we see at the end of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 22, 18 through 21, hear the word of God. I warn everyone, everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. That's a sobering word. Likewise, in the Old Testament, Moses limits the book of Deuteronomy to the revelation that he provides. And he warns in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, saying, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor shall you take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And likewise, in chapter 12, verse 32, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it, and you shall not take from it. Thus, Jesus and the inspired authors of the New Testament do not envision there to be a spiritual free-for-all in which individual future believers approach the life of faith like a choose-your-own-adventure book 
of which they are the authors. For the biblical authors, the Word of God, Holy Scripture, as it is illuminated by the Holy Spirit, is the only way that we are to discern, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, what is good and what is evil. It's really helpful to come back to the first injunction in Thessalonians that we read at the beginning of the episode. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. And right alongside that, he says, do not despise the words of the holy prophets. As we saw in the Gospel of John, the illuminating power of the Spirit works through the prophetic Word of God. And this offers clarity and it offers coherence to the life of faith and to the life of morals. We do not have to play a guessing game. By God's Spirit, through God's Word, what God intends for us becomes clear. And the truth itself shows itself not only to be clear, but to be beautiful. In chapter 1, part 10 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we find this beautifully summarized. It says, The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, in whose sentence we are to rest, can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking through Scripture. Notice again, like the teaching of Jesus and John, and like the teaching of the apostles, it is neither the Word without the Spirit or the Spirit flying solo without the Word. It is the Spirit speaking through the Scriptures. Now, there are a great many things which the church has heard together clearly through the ages. And we refer to this consensus as the one holy Catholic, which means universal, and apostolic faith. And this faith includes not only doctrine about God, but ethics. So if we consult scripture, we don't find that doctrine and ethics are separated into sort of neat, distinct categories. The faith once delivered to the saints, which is mentioned in Jude 3, has to do both with theology and ethics. This faith is contained in the apostolic witness of Scripture, the Word of God written, and it is binding on the church in order that we might learn how to love and learn how to live like God so that we might become holy and blameless in His sight. Scripture itself includes ethics when it uses the phrase sound doctrine, which can also be translated healthy doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, the author gives a list of vices that include murder and sexual immorality and many other things. And he labels these behaviors as contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, he writes in the very next verse, is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Likewise, in Titus 1, verse 15 through Titus 2, verse 15, the author refers to people who are impure and defiled in their minds and conscience. He then contrasts this sinful behavior with an exhortation to Christian leaders to change them to teach what is in accord with sound 
doctrine. You see, when it says sound doctrine, oftentimes in the church, we think that means, oh, that's the resurrection, that's the virgin birth, that's the Trinity, those sort of important core things. But what the New Testament shows is those things are not separate from ethics. The New Testament and Jesus talk about ethics and theology together. All of it is part of the rich beauty of Holy Scripture, which gives us clarity, not only in to know what we believe in, but so that we can know how to live. Titus then spends 15 verses in a row describing the ethics of the Christian life. In verse 10, he directly relates these particular Christian behaviors with the gospel, noting that the purpose of this pure, this moral life is, quote, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. J.N.D. Kelly explains that sound doctrine refers to, quote, the authentic Christian message applied to conduct. William Mounts refers to sound doctrine as the conduct of believers in conformity with the apostolic teaching, the conduct of believers. Catholic commentator Benjamin Fiore argues that, quote, sound teaching issues in morally upright behavior. You see, they're not counting out ethics. They're including it like the biblical authors. And this, not just from Protestants and not just from right wing or left wing, this is all across the board agreeing on this. Philip Towner, another scholar, argues that sound teaching refers to, quote, authoritative apostolic doctrine, which when applied to moral teaching describes behavior or teaching that was virtuous. And he concludes by saying that sound teaching articulates the appropriate ethical response to God. This phrase, sound doctrine, was part of a common medical metaphor, actually, that was used all over the Greco-Roman world by philosophers and teachers at the time of Paul. And it was really used in a metaphor where philosophical vice was talked about as disease and sickness. Well, as we conclude this section of Trinity on Tap, I want us to be reminded that God not only wants to save us through faith in the cross, he wants to sanctify us through following Jesus in the way of the cross. This involves laying down our preferences, laying down our favorite ideologies and practices, laying down our entire lives so that we can take up our cross daily and walk with Jesus. Walk with him in the transformative way of sacrificial divine love. As we do this, we have questions. What is true? What does God desire of me and require of me? What is holy? What is good, pure, upright, blameless? How can I be free from the slavery to sin so that I can be sanctified through obedience to the word by the power of the Spirit? As we discern Let us take Paul's exhortation seriously. Let us not quench the spirit and let us not despise the prophecies. But instead, I invite you to submit yourselves to the freedom that comes from following Jesus as we're illuminated by his spirit, which is speaking through scripture. Catch you next time.
This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.